This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the Best of Fight Back from the week that was. What issues are important to Zoomers during the current municipal election campaigns across Ontario? Here at the Zoomerplex this coming Thursday, both John Tory and his main challenger, Gil Peñaloza, will be taking part in what will be just the second Toronto mayoral debate presented by CARP, A New Vision of Aging. It'll be moderated by Libby Snymer and Anthony Quinn of CARP and will air on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back right after the news at noon. Again, that's this Thursday, October 13th, in front of a live audience. Our Zoomer squad joined Libby on Monday to preview the CARP Toronto mayoral debate. John Wright is Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion. Bill Van Gorder is Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP. And David Kravitz is Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Well, there's going to be, because it's CARP, there's going to be a focus on seniors and what are the different candidates um, going to do for the aging population of Toronto. But I would like to put one point out there. There's 50% of Toronto's population, City of Toronto, not GTA, City, are Zoomers, 45 plus. And 20, uh, 25, Twenty percent are seniors, sixty-five plus. That's so. so senior it's a is still group. sixty-five, really? Okay, well, good well, to know. Well, they're a subset yeah. of the larger group, but I think it's important to point out that a senior in Toronto has really two identities. What do we want as a senior? What do we want as a Torontonian? Um, and I think that the risk for the incumbents—not that I'm predicting an upset—but the risk is that the older you are, the more you can remember when things were better than they are now. And so I think that there's a lot of stored up memory of Toronto being cleaner, Toronto being safer, Toronto being more manageable. And I think some of the dissatisfaction will be around that and not only senior specific issues. Bill. Well, uh, certainly uh, there are two um, topics that really concern uh, older Torontonians these days. One is housing and the other is transportation. And transportation may be the hidden uh, one that the candidates have to look more at uh, focusing on. The older you get, the more you often reply, uh, you re- respond and rely on uh, public transportation and other forms of transportation getting around. And that's a key issue that most of our CART members don't feel is being handled well in the city at the moment. Well, and we just heard John Wright about another delay for the Eglinton LRT. I know uh, my husband and his cycling buddies have made a rather macabre bet on whether they will live to see that finished. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise anybody who lives even close by it um, <clears throat> that that the announcement's been made. I mean, it's just been a fixture for such a long time. Although I can tell you that out at Avenue Road in Eglinton, a lot of that hoarding has come down over the last month, and it sure looks way different. I mean, you go by Yitz's, and it may be vacant, unfortunately, right now, but you can actually see into it. So there seems to be some material progress being made. 
But I think, you know, the other part of the um, construction in those lanes and in other places around the city have been for cyclists. I mean, if you look at Eglinton Avenue now, <clears throat> just up the street from me, it's narrowed to two lanes, no longer four lanes. It's got bike lanes on either side and boulevards that come out. It's got extended uh, walkways. So, you know, you can see in different parts of the city where it is changing. It's, it's expressing what John Tory's vision is for this city, and that is to have large groups of condominiums or apartments in certain places grouped around a... Um, you know, a transportation system where they can walk to work as at the same time live in the area, bicycle and do those sort of things. So it may be that there's a lot of construction going on, but there seems to be a notion that this is the future and that we're kind of living in that constructed future for the next while anyways. Campaigns matter. And when you don't have uh, strong opposition, then you don't have strong opinions. Um, you're going to have the mayor on. And as I said, stakeholders are going to play a very important role in, in talking to the mayor and having these kind of forms. I think what's really important is still understand the local candidate and get out and vote. I suspect that when you don't have a strong mayoralty race, you don't get a lot of people out voting. But it matters the most because when you look out your, your door, right in front of you is what you know, allows you to operate every single day. And if you're not doing something about it by voting locally, then you can't have much of a beef with it. John Wright, Executive Vice President of Maru Public Opinion, Bill Van Gorder, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and David Kravitz, Chief Membership Officer at CARP and Vice President here at Zoomer Media. Fightbacks Monday, Zoomer Squad. This is Zoomer Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Speaking of the mayoral race, Libby was also joined Monday by John Tory, who is hoping to win a third term as mayor. It was his first time joining Fight Back during the current municipal election campaign. As Libby pointed out to the Toronto mayoral incumbent, residents are fed up, especially when trying to get around the city with gridlock and construction everywhere and those overflowing waste bins. So, John Tory, why isn't there better control of these city elements? We are making big efforts. We've created these construction hubs to coordinate the comings and goings of cement trucks and dump trucks and all those things that go with a growing city. But I think the real uh, you know, culprit, if there is one that's caused uh, some of what you're talking about, is the amount of construction. And, and I'll divide them into three. I mean, the first is transit construction. You don't build $30 billion worth of transit, which we're finally doing after decades where we weren't building transit. You don't build that transit without disruption, number one. Number two... There is a civil construction. You know, you don't build uh, and have 70,000 people coming to the city of Toronto every year, which is true, and not have the obligation to expand the water mains and expand the sewers and things like that. I think people understand that. And we're doing that work, which was postponed for years. And I won't postpone it anymore because it would be irresponsible to do that. And then finally, you have the residential and office construction that's taking place. And again, if there are 70,000 people coming to the city every year, record growth that is in, you know, in, in excess of that taking place in any other city in North America, then you have to have places for them to live and to work. And so those things are being built. And the way Toronto is put together, yes, you do have to come, sometimes close lanes of traffic uh, because there is just not the opportunity on these small lots downtown, the way the city was built, uh, to say to people, park your cement trucks or park your uh, trailers on, on the site of the construction. And so I... I I guess I'm, I'm trying, we, we are all trying our best. Uh, we're doing things like have uh, working until 11 o'clock or working 24 hours a day to get these things finished faster. But when we work till 11 o'clock or 24 hours a day, we get a lot of complaints about the noise. 
So you can't win. Um, but the good news is this is a growing city. It's going to be continue to be a prosperous city with lots of jobs for young people. We're tackling transit and affordable housing, which causes uh, some construction disarray. And that's just what we're going to keep doing. And we'll try to manage these things as best we can. How long will it take to, to deal with these various issues that just make living in the city quite difficult? Well, I think, first of all, most people think the city is generally on the right track. It's a big, complicated city, and big, complicated cities and fast-growing cities, including Toronto, have big, complicated problems. And so none of them have, you know, instant solutions at hand for some of the big issues that we face. I guess people will have to ask themselves in the context of the election that's on, um, you know, do they want experienced people to try and deal with those as best one can, or do they want to sort of start over again? Uh, But I would say to you that all of these things are things that are under a very active, um, you know, action, which is to say, can we in some way modify the contract about the garbage cans to get better ones? Or can we ask the people that are contracted to produce them? Can they produce different ones that are better for 2022? And you you can't just phone them up and say, well, change the garbage cans because there is a contract. And, you know, I believe that you have to respect the rule of law in that respect. And so I would say all of these things, I mean, the transit getting built, it's going to take, we've been very open about that. It's going to take seven or eight years to build it at least, but at least we're building it, Libby. And in past, uh, you know, administrations, the transit wasn't getting built. It just didn't get built. You know, a government would change and the plan would change. And there were big arguments and studies about the plan. We're building $30 billion worth of transit because of a partnership we entered into between the three governments, but it takes eight, 10 years to build a huge transit. Project. This is the biggest transit project in North America. It takes time to build those. And so I would just say that uh, some of them are going to happen faster than others, and everything will happen as quickly as it possibly can. But, um, you know, I think anyone who's being honest with you will say that in a big city with big flex problems and a huge city in terms of geography and population, there aren't too many easy instant solutions. All I want to do is move the city forward, and uh, I want to work with anybody who wants to work with me on the council or anywhere else, and we'll see if I get that chance on the 24th of October, because the voters will decide as between the 30 people that are running for mayor, who they want. And uh, I'll stand by, of course, and accept with grace whatever that decision is. Toronto mayoral incumbent John Tory spoke with Libby on Monday. You're listening to The Best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick. Coming up after the break, what about those City of Toronto garbage bins? Why are they not being emptied in a timely manner? We discuss next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's becoming a significant municipal election issue in Toronto, the overflowing garbage bins. There are nearly 9,500 garbage disposal units in Toronto, and last year the city received as many as 3,000 calls about overflowing garbage units and over 4,500 complaints about receptacles needing repair. Toronto Star City Hall reporter Ben Spur wrote about the City of Toronto bins, which are owned by Bell Media Property, Astro Media, the company which is actually responsible for providing and maintaining these bins. It's a tricky and kind of strange situation where the, the, the who's responsible for the bins is a bit of a, um, a, a mixed bag here because the, the city uh, years ago, uh, back in uh, 2007, struck this deal with Astral, this, this uh, company, this, the division of Bell Media. Uh, and uh, under the, the terms of that deal, uh, Astral would, would uh, install and maintain these uh, garbage bins 
uh, while uh, earning the right also to put ads on other um, city infrastructure that installed like uh, bus shelters and that kind of thing. So the city is not directly responsible for actually installing and, and keeping the bins in good shape, but the city is actually responsible for uh, picking up the litter from from the thing. So exactly what is the cause of these bins and being in rough shape and, and overflowing could be because they're not picked up enough, but there's also other issues like the, the door is not uh, working and then falling off and that trash spilling out into the street and stuff. So um, between the, the company and, and the city government, you would hope that uh, they would get their acts together and keep these things in, in, in good shape. I mean, surely 40,000 city employees, like that's enough to at least clean up around those bins. Yeah, they, the city says, um, when I asked them about this, they said that sometimes it can be hard for them to get to these bins. There's uh, lots of uh, city road construction that's happening, as, as uh, we well yeah. know, and lots of other types of construction, which make it kind of hard to, to roll up a, a garbage truck, I guess, to, to this uh, to some of these receptacles. But, um, you know, I think uh, most listeners would, would agree that uh, that's a problem that the city should be able to, to figure out, right, that uh, if they're going to let people put their trash in these bins, then they need to figure out a way to, to to access them and, and clean them out uh, frequently enough so that they're not spilling out onto the street. I understand that you would hope that these aren't overly complicated issues. As I say, the exact uh, who has jurisdiction over specific problems with the bins is a bit complicated because the city has um, gone this route of, of uh, letting Astral uh, be responsible for installing and maintaining them. Um, and But, you know, the, the story that I wrote today is part of the series that we're running in the Star about um, the way that city, the city of Toronto kind of funds and provides these, these basic city services like like garbage receptacles. Uh, I think there is a line of criticism that, that um, uh, people are kind of sympathetic to. A lot of people who, who watch City Hall closely, that the city has, um, you know, not funded things properly. This, this, this deal with Astro was supposed to, to save the city money. And it did it? Arguably. Well, <laughs> it, it certainly saved the city uh, responsibility of, of paying to install and maintain these things. But if the result is overflowing garbage bins. And I think that's a trade-off that a lot of uh, people in Toronto would probably, you know, uh, question. And it seems to be in line with um, sort of a lot of other kind of issues that have been popping up in, in recent months. You know, we've heard lots of complaints about um, things like uh, water fountains and parks not working, public washrooms in parks not working, um, um, you know, and, and up to more serious issues like, you know, Toronto city-owned uh, community housing literally, you know, falling down around its residents. So I think uh, the the series we're running the stars trying to ask you know is this the result of years and years of budgets being really tight at city hall and, and a kind of reluctance to raise uh revenue uh to to meet the city's needs and, and therefore we're kind of trying to pinch some pennies and cut some corners and is that resulting in, in things like shuttered uh public washings and, and garbage bins that uh, are, are too full of trash or, or is it the result of, uh, we have like 20 seconds left, the re- result of something else uh, and uh, just things not getting done? I'm going to give you the last 20 seconds, Ben. Yeah, I think I think funding is, is a big question, but you're right. There are there's some other issues here. Just people uh, in city government maybe not paying close attention to this stuff. This this little, you know, arguably little things, but but things that make a, a real impact on people's daily lives and uh, maybe getting overlooked in all the other responsibilities that the city has. Toronto Star City Hall reporter Ben Spur. This is Uma Radio's Best to Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Are corporations paying their fair share of our taxes? According to Canadians for Tax Fairness, the answer's no. 
The group's experts say Canadians lost as much as $30 billion due to an unexplained doubling of corporate tax avoidance in 2021. Libby was joined by economist D.T. Cochran with Canadians for Tax Fairness. Tax avoidance uh, includes a whole range of things. It's a bit of a catch-all term that does include things that are legal, things that are, you know, tax planning that um, is perfectly legitimate. But that tax planning, when done by highly sophisticated um, accountants and lawyers, will always push at the boundaries of what's allowed. Uh, but it also moves into the, the range of things that aren't legal. So we use this term because, as we say in the report, we just don't know. Uh, a lot of this probably is legal, um, but that also doesn't mean that it's what's best for Canadians. And it's why we're calling on the government to explain this doubling of uh, corporate tax avoidance. And, and so what kinds of things uh, made up that $30 billion? Uh, well, again, we don't know exactly. We took our data from financial disclosures put out by the corporations themselves. Uh, we examined um, several years of reports from some of the companies with the biggest um, tax gaps and couldn't figure out exactly what they're doing, how they're able to push their effective tax rates down so low. The categories that they use to explain it are so vague that they don't tell us anything about what's actually going on. And that's why we're calling on the revenue minister to explain how they're able to achieve this. And uh, I'm looking 2021 pandemic. Could the doubling uh, be due to pandemic related measures or breaks or anything like that? So the doubling is relative to the pre-pandemic year. So it's possible that there is certain fallout from measures that were introduced as part of the pandemic. Uh, if that's the case, if corporations are benefiting to this degree from measures that the government introduced, then it's that much more incumbent upon them to contribute their fair share to funding those very measures and not so aggressively being able to push their effective tax rates down. How would this impact uh, the average Canadian or, you know, a, a wage earner who's uh, got to pay taxes uh, and it's pretty straightforward how they do? Well, it's affecting average Canadians kind of on both sides of the equation. Part of the incredible increase in corporate tax avoidance is a result of much higher corporate profits. Much higher corporate profits are partially a result of higher inflation. It's not simply that the corporations are passing along their own higher costs. Our research shows that they're actually increasing their profit margins. So the corporations are driving the inflation, giving them bigger profits, taking more money from us. Then on the other side of things, governments use their shortfalls in revenue to justify not spending on the things that we know Canadians need. So for example, we have an aging population and the pandemic showed we have a failing long-term care system. It needs much more government support, but when governments aren't getting the revenues that they need, they'll use that to justify not providing the support that's necessary. So uh, what's your next steps on this to wrap things up? Well, our next steps are to continue to talk to media folks like yourself who are interested and concerned about this issue, but we're going to continue to research uh, what's going on here. We know that uh, at least a few of these companies benefited from the Q's program during the pandemic. So you have companies making record profits 
while also benefiting from a government support program. So we're going to look further into that to try to see if at the same time as companies are pushing down the taxes they have to pay, they're collecting more money from the government. Economist D.T. Cochran with Canadians for Tax Fairness. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is Uma Radio's Best to Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics, and we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Ron in Guelph called about the Ford government proposal to offer volunteers a financial incentive for turning down their AC on those hot summer days. I think I'm already saving energy, but it's, uh, they haven't given a definition of what do they call turning down the thermostat or turning down Exactly, the exactly. Um, I already keep mine. Maybe I'm just cheap. I don't know. In the summertime, um, my uh, air conditioning is set for probably either 22 or 23 degrees, which I think is somewhere in the 70s. So, um, so I'm already being conscious of the, um, using more than I need. As families gather for Thanksgiving, Midge and Scarborough shared a personal motto. Attitude of gratitude actually changed my life. And I don't mean to sound preachy, but I found it by simply uh, appreciating really basic things. It started prior to the pandemic when I my leg was saved, but it continued. And even during the pandemic, I know that it was a rough time. But when I acknowledged people for what they did and and said genuine thank yous when they were there, I saw so much good and I continue to see good. The gratitude and genuine appreciation that you give to someone during the day, I find it's almost like they're in shock that they're getting it and that they had an impact on you. I see it 9.5 times out of 10, and it's very genuine. Attitude of gratitude has changed my life. It has lifted it up. Everything is brighter. Angela Natobicoe also has gratitude goals. I wanted to uh, share how I use my gratitude list every day. Um, Every morning, I go through my intentions, which I've set for the year. I have three yearly intentions. So I go over those, and then I have a biweekly intention that I set every two weeks, and I go over that. And then I have a gratitude list, and it has about 50 items on it. And I go through each item same I'm grateful for, and then I repeat the item that's on the list. And I do add items to my gratitude list periodically. And I find that this has been really helpful to me, having that gratitude list and reviewing it every day, keeping it in my mind. Shelley in Thornhill fondly recalls a family tradition. So I want to talk about something my uh, daughter did when my grandson was young, um, and they continued for a couple of years. Uh, when the family sat down for dinner, which they did every night, to promote conversation, um, and even when guests were there, they had a jar. And in the jar were all these questions and comments, and they pulled one out each time they got together, and they would answer them. And I remember some of them were about, what are you? What made you happy today? What was the best thing that happened this week? Um who did you talk to that you hadn't talked to before? And these were all things to um, 
promote their family vision of kindness and caring and helping others and getting along. And um, I think it's a marvelous idea, and I wanted to share it. And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There are a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Carol, who called from Guelph about her recent experience with COVID, as experts say we are in yet another wave of the virus. I do mask whenever I go out in public, um, and because I still know that COVID is definitely around. I was at a convention the end of August, and the first week of September, I tested positive. Hmm. And how many shots have you had, if I may ask? I've had four. How was your bout? Uh, the first few days, actually, when I was still testing negative was when I was most sick. Mm-hmm. When I started feeling better, then I start, that, that was when I started testing positive, and I was positive for eight days. Wow, that's a long one. That was a long one. That does it for today's Best to Fight Back here on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us between noon and one weekdays, or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca, follow us on Twitter at Fightback Libby, and call our Fightback voicemail anytime, 416-367-9636. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. Join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of Fightback. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.